Well, we're going to continue in our Kingdom Come series with a message about the priority of the kingdom. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 6 today. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you can remember people, sometimes even leaders in the church, who have started strong in the faith, they've led many people to the Lord, they've discipled people, and then all of a sudden it just seems like in their life they just kind of stumble and fall down before they're able to cross that finish line into heaven. And I've personally seen that a lot. I've seen people who are elders in the church suddenly be found in adultery, or people who are elders in the church go to jail for embezzlement, and, and people that I had in, in real high esteem, and, and people who mentored me, who discipled me, and all of a sudden they were um, just casualties of this war and fi- of uh, faith, and casualties of the enemy. And if you go through this a few times, it kind of shakes your faith a little bit, doesn't it? And it kind of makes you question that if you are going to be able to cross this finish line, I mean, if these giants and the faith keeps falling down in front of you, it kind of makes you think, man, if they couldn't make it, am I going to be able to make it? And this isn't just a recent phenomenon, though. This isn't just something that has happened in the 21st century church. This is something that has happened throughout the the entire history of the Christian church. And it even happened to Jesus, if you think about it. He had a guy walk with him for three years that turned around and betrayed him. Paul had the same kind of experience with one of his friends named Demas. Demas was faithful to Paul. He was one of his co-workers. He was a, a person who was out there ministering the gospel, who was telling people about Jesus, and even helping Paul when he was in prison. And yet, even though he was proclaimed to be a fellow worker of the gospel and, and Paul would compliment him at the end of a couple of his letters, in his last letter to Timothy, you hear Paul lamenting that Demas had forsaken him because he had loved the things of this world more than the things of God. So how do we avoid being a Demas? How do we keep ourselves, from, or keep ourselves running a good race? How do we keep ourselves from stumbling right before we get to that finish line? How do we guard our hearts against the things of this world or the things that the enemy would try to dangle right out in front of us to entice us away from our devotion with God? And how do we keep kingdom priorities first and foremost in our lives? Let's see what Jesus had to say about this. Matthew 6, verse 31. Jesus is speaking, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles, and the word Gentiles here in this case means unbelievers, not necessarily non-Jews. For all these things the Gentiles seek. But your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But, and this is what I want to focus on today, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you just help us to learn to walk steadily with you through this message this morning. That you would help it to speak this message to speak to our hearts. You would help it to judge the thoughts and attitudes. You would kick open doors, Lord, that we try to hide from you of of things that we know that you have have said to us that you want us to leave behind and you don't want us to do anymore. 
So Father, I ask, Lord, that this morning that people will be set free from things that have long entang- they've been long entangled with and that they will be able to walk before you with a clear conscience, Father, able to do and speak your will to this lost and dying world. Father God, I ask this through, in your name. Amen. I think that one of the main reasons that people can walk with God for years, they can be elders in the church, they can be pastors even, or, or big, have giant ministries, and then all of a sudden stumble before they, are, they ever cross that finish line, is that they lose focus on this verse, and that is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I think that we get to a point in life sometimes where we think that we can kind of put our faith journey on autopilot. We think that, you know, God and I are good. I really don't have to pursue him, so to speak. I know that I'm saved. And we kind of put the cruise control on and think, well, as as long as I keep moving in this general direction, I'm okay. Well, cruise control is a great device. I used it for four hours yesterday to get myself back from a nominee. But cruise control is deadly in our spiritual walk. You can't put it on cruise control to get into heaven. And the reason for that is that you and I, as a human being, we are a sieve. We're like the colander that you get the water out of the noodles with. We were designed to leak. I don't know if you realize that, but God, you, you often wonder you know, why it just seems like sometimes you just seem so spiritually dead or tired, or sometimes you just don't want to get up and go to church. Sometimes you don't want to have anything to do with the things of God. Well, God made you to leak. If you think about it, you ever been in a church where they kind of have that big incense thing, where they swing this thing back and forth and you see the smoke come out of it and all that? Well, that's how we are designed. We are designed to spread abroad the the fragrance of Christ into the world. The thing is, if you don't refill that sensor once in a while, it's going to leak and it's going to dry up. So that's a way that God created us so that we could, um, so that we have to pursue him, so that we have to stay close to him, so that we have to refill in him so we can continue to spread abroad this fragrance of Christ. We are meant to be rivers of living water, not reservoirs. And there's three ways that that I've found that we can keep our spiritual tank full, and they all have to deal with keep first the kingdom of God in our lives. And the first one involves maybe changing our mindset a little bit and acknowledge the priority of the kingdom of God. We have to acknowledge the fact that this is a kingdom that we are dealing with here. And kingdoms have rank and authority built into them. Kings, if you have a kingdom, means you have a king and kings require homage. Kings require that you pay attention to them. And the problem with American Christianity is because of our rugged individualism. I mean, you, you, people think about an American, they think about a Marlboro man. They think about some guy sitting on a horse out on the prairie. He's a rugged individual. There's nothing that he can't handle. He's just a tough, tough kind of guy. And this rugged individual, rugged individualism makes us kind of cynical and untrusting of leadership. I mean, if you think about it, the first act of our country was to have a rebellion against the king of of England. 
And I'm not saying that was a bad thing. I'm just saying we, we kind of started in rebellion. And the, the idea of the average American is kind of a, a guy that's kind of a rebel. A lot of the guys that we hold up in the media are kind of rebels. You know, we were talking about Donald Trump a little bit during Sunday school, kind of a rebel. Talk about you know, movie stars, James Dean, kind of a rebel. As these are the kind of guys who say, yeah, I want to be like that kind of guy. And unfortunately, that kind of um, ends up in our Christianity also, is that we don't acknowledge that there is a kingdom that we belong to and a, a rank and, and authority structure that we fail to recognize sometimes. That's why um, we get shaken when a Christian leader falls. Because sometimes if we, if we don't really realize exactly where they are in the kingdom, we can do one of two things. Either we don't acknowledge them as a leader or, and kind of be the rebel in the church or, or the rebel outside of the church. You know, I'm not going to go to church. I can worship God on my own, that kind of an attitude. Or they could go the other extreme over here and say, well, you know, this guy is like, you know, there's, there's me and then there's this person, and then there's God. So when this person here falls, it wrecks their faith with God because their eyes weren't in the right place. That's why first and foremost, we are to follow Christ. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't follow a person. Don't I would even say don't follow me as your pastor. I mean, even I, I love and honor Larry Leiby, I love and honor Rich Lemberg. I love and honor George Wood, our general superintendent, but I don't put my faith in them. I don't put my hope in them. I hope they, I hope they sprint across the finish line with much reward. That's, that's my prayer for them. But if they fell tomorrow, it's not going to shake me that much. It's going to be more of a, oh, man, poor Larry or poor Rich or, or poor whoever. I hope, that, I hope that never happens. But I'm just saying we keep our eyes on Jesus and not on people because we are just, we're fallible, aren't we? I don't know if you realize this, but occasionally I might make a mistake. Occasionally I might misspeak, like about five times already during this sermon. You know, I, I'm going to make mistakes. So we follow Christ more, or we follow Christ while still honoring the leadership structure that he puts in our place. It's very instructive to us that Jesus' first sermon was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And by saying that, Jesus has taken our eyes off of the others around us, the human beings that can and will fail us, and he's saying, everybody, you need to keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And while you're keeping your eyes on me, consider yourselves for a moment. Because if you stare long enough at Jesus, your spiritual reaction should be to repent, shouldn't it? I mean, even John, as holy of a man as he was, when he saw the risen Jesus in heaven during our study of the Revelation, what did he do? He fell down at his feet as though dead. He was probably a very holy man, one of the most holy men that ever lived. Yet his re immediate reaction upon looking at Jesus was to fall at his feet and worship. You see, Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 is reestablishing the idea of God being king. When he's talking about the kingdom of God. 
He's saying, look, humanity, we've tried it your way. You remember in, in 1 Samuel where people wanted to know what was going to happen when Samuel died, and they said, look, your, your sons aren't measuring up. They're, they're not following after God. They're, they're rebels themselves. You've, you know, you've let them run wild, whatever, whatever the case may be. His sons weren't ready to pick up the mantle, and they said, why don't you just give us a king like all the other nations? Give us a human king that we can look to. And, and Samuel said, that's a very bad idea. God said, that's a very bad idea. Matter of fact, that's the worst idea that you guys have had since you picked the fruit off the tree. That's about the worst idea. And so they, they begged, they cajoled, and they said, okay, I'm going to let you do this, but this is going to be very, very bad for you. And this is what Jesus is trying to reverse here, is he's saying, look, we've tried it your way, and for a thousand years since we allowed you to have a king, look what's happened. Millions have been slaughtered because of the ambition of these kings. These kings led you into spiritual slavery and physical slavery. They led you into idol worship. They led you away from me. And it's time that Jesus is saying, look, I am reestablishing this idea that was back in the beginning that my father wanted to be your king. He wants to be king over you. And I'm reestablishing a spiritual kingdom here. And so before Jesus was crucified, he's restoring this idea that Israel had been founded on. And it's one of the central points in the Old Testament and a central point actually in the Bible. And that is the Jewish statement of faith that's found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. That says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And this statement of faith that God gave the Jewish people forms a basis for the Christian statement of faith that's found in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, when Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Now, isn't that, that's just the Ten Commandments summarized, isn't it? You don't have to memorize ten things, you just memorize this one. And that's the code of behavior and ethics for kingdom citizens, which is another word or another way of saying Christian. Christian really means that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And living the great commandment is how we acknowledge the priority of the kingdom in our lives. And, and that is how we seek first the kingdom of God. It is also how we experience God's righteousness. God's righteousness is not something we strive to. God's righteousness is not something we try to earn through spiritual exercise. God's righteousness is imparted to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are simply to live in it. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying live sloppy, you can do whatever you want, but I'm saying that in trying to, instead of trying to earn favor with God, worship him for what he's already given you. Because he has already given you the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You just have to have the faith to experience it and take it upon yourself. Which, if you have accepted Jesus, you already have. 
So after we recognize and obtain this, a sense of the priority of the kingdom, we need to guard that priority of the kingdom in our lives. Several years ago, when I was studying for the ministry, God called me to read the pastoral epistles every day for over a month. It was probably a couple months, I think. I just read First and Second Timothy and Titus for several months, and I think he was really imparting in my spirit what it meant to be a pastor. And I saw, after reading these over and over again, I saw something very interesting in both letters to Timothy. The first letter to Timothy ends in 620, saying to guard what has been entrusted in your care, and then begins his second letter in Timothy to guard the good deposit of faith which was put into you. So I, whenever the Bible repeats words and, and repeats ideas, it's, it's worth really digging into and, and understanding what that means. And so I said, okay, well, what is this deposit? And God showed me, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise and the deposit that God gives us, guaranteeing us and assuring us of the things to come. We're to guard our relationship with the Holy Spirit by the power of that same Holy Spirit, by walking in the Holy Spirit. It's just so fascinating the way that God does things is that we guard something simply by existing in it and allowing him to, to mold and shape us and, and to walk with us and influence us. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to guard our heart relationship with him. It's just we just have to yield to his leading. And that's kind of counter to our natural disposition, isn't it? Guarding something seems like it's an active task, doesn't it? If I was going to, if I was put on guard duty in the military, that means I, you know, I have a rifle on my hand, in my, on my uh, shoulder, and walking back and forth and guarding something, actively looking around, keeping an eye out for any intruders or or anything that that goes with against my instructions, and it's something that I have to do. But the reality is, when our relationship with God. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you can't possibly make God be more God, can you? He exists in you in all of his fullness. All you have to do is live a life of surrender before him and let God be God. If we let the king be the king and let the source of all spiritual power give you that power, we learn to live in the third way, which is to live in the priority of the kingdom, to live the priority. And as a Christian, you are part of the kingdom of God, and everything in our lives should revolve around this, from seeking first the kingdom of God. But that's, that's the ideal, and we know that life isn't that easy, is it? It's easy to say that this is what we should do, but life is messy sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes when we come up with decisions that come in our lives and we, we're going, I don't know, which way should I go? Should I go this way? Should I go that way? Should I do this thing or should I do that thing? And, and then we, we worry, well, what if this causes me to stumble or what if this isn't going to be honoring to God? And, and we can drive ourselves crazy by, by trying to figure this out. So how do we evaluate these potential opportunities or situations that life seems to be, that life puts in front of us and ask, is this coming from God or is this a distraction by the enemy? 
And previously, I've, I've shared situations in my past where I've turned down opportunities to advance my secular career at the cost of the calling of God in my life, where I had to turn things away to say, you know, that's, that's, God's not in that. That's a distraction. He's trying to pull me away from, from what he wants to do in my life. And sometimes they were obvious, sometimes they weren't, and I just had to seek them. And I've even had the senior position, or senior pastor position, excuse me, offered to me several times before coming here. But when I sought God, he wasn't in it. And if I would have taken it at that time, it would have been a disaster because I wasn't ready for it. So I want to share with you a couple steps that how we can seek the will of God in our lives and make decisions that will help you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And these are not necessarily just standalone tasks, but they have to be taken in their entirety. The first thing you should do when you have to make a decision on whether or not this is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is pray. And I know it sounds like, well, duh, that of course we should pray. But it goes without saying that whenever opportunity presents itself to seek God's face and more importantly, his will for your life. We should always pray about these things. One of the most tragic uh, verses in the Bible is a verse in Joshua that of the Gibeonite deception. Some people go before Joshua, and Joshua, well, first, Joshua was told when he went into the promised land that they were to wipe out everybody. Everybody had to go. Because if there were people left over, they would cause them to fall away from God. And God knew this, and so God told him, you need to wipe everybody out. And this was judgment upon these people for being so wicked, in case you think God's being mean. He gave them 400 years to repent. They didn't repent, so it was time for a reckoning. So Joshua had the instructions from God, come in, you're to wipe out everything. Man, woman, child, family, dog, everything's got to go. So Gibeonites were a tribe that lived in Canaan at the time, and they heard about this. And they said, well, we're not going to be able to stand against this army. They're going to wipe us out, so let's trick them into... Uh, into forming a treaty with us. And they put on some old raggedy clothes, had some old raggedy animals, old raggedy suitcases, all this kind of stuff. And they said, hey, we live way over there, you know, not even in, in your land. And, you know, we're no threat to you, but we see that you're a mighty people. Let's make a treaty of, you know, nonviolence with one another. And we're not, gonna, we're not going to, you know, harm each other in any way or anything like that. And it says there, that Joshua and the, the elders of Israel, they looked at him, they said, they're just a bunch of poor beggars. I mean, look at their clothes, look at their, look at their horses, look at their, their, the stuff they're bringing with them. They have holes in it and everything else. And it said, very tragically, he said, but he did not seek the Lord. And he was tricked into making a treaty with them and allowing the Gibeonites to stay in the land, which was a snare to them and allowed and led eventually to the Israelites falling back into idolatry. So when we say to pray, that is what we need to do, is we need to seek the Lord in these things. If we're going to seek first the kingdom, we need to seek the Lord and how we build his kingdom and what we let into his kingdom. And that means what you let in to your life. Number two, ask yourself, does this line up with what God has already revealed in my life. You know, the old evangelist called God has a plan for your life. 
He does have a plan for your life. And if you've discovered what that plan is, and you have something come into your life that, that seems to be drawing you away from that plan, you have to ask yourself, is this actually from God? Or is this something that the enemy is dangling in front of me that looks really good, but I'm not going to seek God about it, and I, everything should be okay, and, and, and it ends up being a snare to you and, and pulling you out of the will of God. Ask yourself, number three, ask yourself, does this opportunity line up with the Word of God? In other words, is it something that lines up with this? Let me give you a couple of examples. You have a friend, not a Christian, who says, you know what, I have a great business opportunity. You know, I, I, I know that if we get involved in this, we can make thousands and millions and millions of dollars. It's guaranteed, but you know that your friend is not a Christian and you know that he's a little shady sometimes, and you decide that you're going to, to go into business with this guy. Now, what does the Word of God say about yoking ourselves with unbelievers? It's pretty clear about that. We don't do that. So if it's something against the Word of God, then we know that that's an automatic no. Now, you know, you do it with gentleness and respect to your friend, but you still, you have to say no. The same kind of thing of, you know, I was offered a management job at, you know, some casino in Las Vegas. And, and I'm going to make $100,000 a year, and I'm going to be able to manage this casino. And, you know, part of managing the casino is, is uh, managing this kind of area over here where they have strip tees and all that. Again, that's pretty much against the Word of God. That should be a no-brainer, right? But some people, you dangle some money out in front of them, and they're going to run with that. So we, we look at what is, what is going to allow us to keep the character of God within our lives. And this is why, by the way, I said to pray first, because we need the mind of Christ before we attempt to seek his will through his word, don't we? If we automatically run to the Bible and we don't have the mind of Christ, we can proof text and, and yank a scripture out from here and say, oh, that's God, and run with it. We need the mind of Christ before we try to interpret the word of Christ. Number four, seek the advice of other trusted and spirit-led individuals. Don't go to Barney who goes down to the corner bar every day. You go to a spirit-led Christian believer. Somebody who has a spirit of discernment, somebody who has the Holy Spirit living inside them and can speak into your life and the truth of God's will and his word for you. And finally, ask yourself, do you have a peace about this? Now, what does that mean? What is, how, how do you decide if you have peace? This is, this is what I do. I ask myself, when I appear before Christ to give an account, will this thing that I'm going to decide on, is this going to bring a reward for me? Or is it going to disappear in a puff of smoke? Will I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or will I see, really? I don't know if Jesus is really going to do that, but I'm just saying, is that what we're going to see? I want to hear in my life, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Will this thing glorify, another way to have peace is, will this thing glorify Jesus and further his kingdom? Or is it going to glorify yourself and further your kingdom? And finally, does this thing fit in with what you have discerned to be God's plan for your life? 
Because if you're in the middle of God's plan, you should always have peace. Even if you have a storm around you, even if you're like Jesus in the boat, sleeping on the bow, while there's a hurricane around you and the boat's about to tip over, you should be at complete peace, no matter what the situation is. Tammy, if you and Jennifer could come back up, please. Leonard Ravenhill wrote a poem that I've, always, that I've, I've really I've memorized. And if you don't know who he is, he's a great revivalist. He, uh, he led prayer meetings where the glory of God would, would come down and people wouldn't be able to stand. And just an awesome man of God. And he wrote these words toward the end of his life. And he ended this poem with these words. Lord of the years that are left of me, I give them to your hand. Take me and mold me into the pattern that thou has planned. And this has to do, and this, if anything, summarizes to seek how, what we are to do in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we, are to, if we seek him with all of our heart as we are commanded to, we will become just like Jesus because he's going to mold us in his image. I'm going to read this as a prayer, and then we're going to go back into worship for a little bit. It's a verse in Jeremiah 29.13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And Father God, many of us have been carried away captive in life. Many of us have struggled with habits, thought patterns, and just out and out sin for years. But Lord, you are in the business of setting the captive free. And that is what we want. We want a heart that is able to say, I am seeking first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, Lord. So Father, I just speak freedom to these captives here today. If they have the chain of captivity around their ankle that Satan has tried to put there from pursuing you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just ask that that chain be broken right now. That they offer it up to you now and that it just be shattered and done away with. Because you want a people, Lord, that are running after you. So just do that in the heart of your people now, Father. Do that in the heart of your people. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. 
We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.